Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Now, and I don't know how he, how he does it. I kind of, like, I get excited and I like spitting and shouting and all that kind of stuff. So this is, y'all were going to see me wiggle and move, and I can't help myself. I might even have to stand up once or twice, but we're going to talk as family. You ready for me to switch, Danny? All right, I'm going to switch um, microphones. I think. There we are. All right. And he'll adjust so it doesn't sound like I'm in a can. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I noticed something. Um, this is peculiar to me. Have you noticed that family members can talk about family members? Yeah. Uh, like, uh, all right, how many of you got a crazy uncle? Raise your hand. No, I'll see. You already threw your family member under the bus already. We're not even two seconds in. Every family has. Anybody got an Uncle Cy in your family? Those of y'all that are like, yeah. Some of y'all, Uncle Cy, who's that? Well, you're, you need to catch up. Catch up, yeah. She's happy, happy, happy. Um, uh, we all have crazy family members, and, and we talk about our family. I mean, you, you know, it, it's, it's okay for, if you're family, you can talk about family. I mean, uh, you can call out the crazy uncle. You can say, oh, so, uh, Aunt Boo-Boo. Where, Aunt Boo-Boo, yeah, Woody actually literally has an Aunt Boo-Boo. Uh, maybe you got a, oh, you got one. Oh, they got an, uh, Aunt Ray-Ray and Shanae-Nay and whatever. I don't know what... But you can talk about them. You can throw them under the bus. You can critique them. You can point out all their faults. But something interesting happens. If I happen to know your family member, and as you're talking about your family and critiquing your family, if I know them and I weigh in with critique on the conversation, something happens. In the atmosphere, in the heavenlies, in the unseen, all of a sudden steam comes out of your ears, you ball up your fist, and it's, it's, like, it's like on. I mean, it's on like Donkey Kong. I mean, you, I can talk about my family, but you better not talk about my family because you don't have the necessary DNA to talk about my family, right? Y'all understand what I'm talking about? Okay. Well, today, what we're going to do is we're just going to talk like family. I'm going to say some things about this family that you need to know, kind of the vision of where we're headed, some of the exciting things that God is doing, and some of the plans that we have, and you need to clue in, but so that I can get a little preach on, so I can feel like I've done something on a Sunday, I want you to join me in a passage of scripture that you're probably familiar with, uh, I am, I've read it a hundred times at least, and we're going to look at it a little different, it's found in Mark chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 8. There's a, I told you last week we were going to address this passage of Scripture, and it is a familiar passage of Scripture. You've known, if you've been in children's church any length of time growing up, you know this story. And so I think what happens is we read stories we're accustomed to, and we, we tend to focus on one particular part of the story, and that's all we ever focus on. And I want you to look at it a little bit different today, and I'll explain. It says, after a few days, Jesus returned to Capernaum, and word got around that he was back home. Another version says like this, it was noise that he was in the house. I love that. Uh, that goes back to the sound series we did at the beginning of the year. When Jesus shows up in a house, word gets out. Yeah. I don't know if y'all know this, but people are talking about you. Yeah. There is word. Word is going out that something is happening at Passion Church and that God is showing up in a real special way and that we're seeing his hand at work. And so that's kind of what happens here. The word got around and he, that he was back home. A crowd gathered, jamming the entrance so no one could get in or out. That sounds like our lobby. 
Just, uh, yeah. So you've been there. You understand. Okay. I didn't know how y'all were getting in here. But uh, uh, he was teaching the word, and they brought a paraplegic to him, carried by four men. And when they weren't able to get in because of the crowd, they removed part of the roof and lowered the paraplegic on his stretcher. Impressed by their bold belief, Jesus said to the paraplegic son, I forgive your sins. And some religion scholars were sitting there, and they started whispering among themselves. And, he, and, and they said this, he can't talk that way. That's blasphemy. God and only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew right away what they were thinking. Now, I should stop there and say I should probably preach on that passage because talk about blush. We've been in that blush series, and uh, that's a sermon in and of itself that Jesus knows what we're thinking. Scary, isn't it? Y'all didn't didn't expect to come to church and get scared, did you? Jesus knew what you were thinking while you were on the way to church and knew what you were thinking about that cute thing sitting in front of you. Oh, never mind. That's a different story. Okay. Uh, So he knew right. See, y'all didn't expect that. I was just supposed to be talking nice. I had to get my preach on. Uh, Jesus knew right away what they were thinking and said, why are you so skeptical? Which is simpler, to say to the paraplegic, I forgive your sins, or say, get up, take up your stretcher, and start walking. Well, just so it's clear that I'm the Son of Man and authorized to do either or both. He, took, he looked now at the paraplegic and said, Get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. And the man did it. He got up, grabbed his stretcher, and walked out with everyone there watching him. I love this. They rubbed their eyes. Uh, how many of you know we want to see God move at such a level here that people have to rub their eyes and say, I don't know if I saw that right. I had not seen that in a while. They rubbed their eyes incredulous and then praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. That's a powerful statement. We've never seen anything like this. I, I've read this account, I don't know, hundreds of times. My focus always lands on Jesus. That's a pretty good focus to have when you're reading Scripture to find out what Jesus was doing and focus on that. I get it. I, I mean, I want to focus on what Jesus is doing because I want to see Jesus do those kind of things here. That's right. But I, I begin to read these things a little, this passage a little differently lately, and I see us in here because I, although I want to focus on Jesus, let's shift our focus just a little bit and change it, and let's focus on the friends. Uh, there's three lessons I want to teach you very quickly uh, in the preachy part of this conversation that we need to learn about the three friends that dealt with this, or the four friends that dealt with this sick man. It'd be hard to, never mind. Four friends that, uh, that uh, dealt with this guy. Three lessons real quickly, um, and then we'll move on to us. These men loved their friends so much that they got him to Jesus. Well, so that's not very profound. Yes, it is. It's profound because I'm concerned that many of us don't love our friends at this level. Ouch. We, we say we love our friends and, and we go on and on, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, but we never take any time and put forth any effort to get them to Jesus. Uh, Pastor Woody asked one time on a Wednesday night, my teenage son came home and quoted this, and I thought it was good. He said, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them about Jesus? If we declare that we love somebody, then something ought to happen in our spirit that when we recognize that they don't know Jesus or they've never been in a position to get to Jesus, that we will do everything within our power to get them to him. It's not enough for me to come and get my praise on. It's not enough for me to come and get my favorite seat in the sanctuary. It's not enough for me to have church. I love people so much that I will do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. In fact, I would say it like this to you. 
if you say that you love them, but you don't get them to Jesus, maybe you don't really love them. These guys loved their friends so much that they come up with this whatever-it-takes attitude. Man, I will do whatever I have to do. See, I want to say it to you like this. Even just loving Jesus is not enough. If all you do is love Jesus, but you don't love anybody else, then you really don't know the Jesus that you love because the Jesus that you love loves the people that don't know him. That was... That was good. Yes, it was. I didn't even in my notes. I write that one down real quick. Yeah, got to remember that one. If you say you love somebody and you don't tell them about Jesus, or if you say you love Jesus and you don't tell somebody about him, something's wrong in that equation. These men love their friends so much that they, they said, we got to get him to Jesus. When's the last time when you're dealing with the jerk at school or the jerk at the office or the next door neighbor or crazy aunt boo-boo that that you said i just need to man i am just desperate to get them to jesus uh, the second thing i realized is that these men faced obstacles but they didn't use the obstacles as an excuse to do nothing i bring that to your attention I, it, it's interesting to me that these guys are faced with a serious obstacle it it's interesting to me that they ran into people that were that that in essence kept people from getting to Jesus. Y'all didn't get that. They ran into people. Now, they didn't intentionally do it. They just couldn't get anybody else in the house. But stay with me just a minute. They ran into people that kept people from coming to Jesus. I, I, maybe y'all never attended that church. I used to attend that church. Not, not here in Oklahoma City, in a different state. I attended a church where the people in the church kept people from getting to, to Jesus. Uh, don't come in here wearing no hat. Don't come in here wearing no shorts. Don't come in here uh, with all your sin. Don't, where else are they supposed to go? That's right. Yeah. People can keep people. We're not going to be like that at Passion. We, we are about getting people to Jesus. They, they encountered obstacles to, to, to get their friend to Jesus. Crowds. They ran out of room. They couldn't get anybody else in. And their need... They had a need. Their need ran into an obstruction. They're, they needed their need to run into Jesus, but they ran into an obstacle. But these guys were so concerned and compassionate about their friend that they refused to allow an obstacle to stop them. I say that because many of us, although we say love Jesus and although we spot needs, as soon as we're faced with an obstacle, we give up. They said no. I've asked them seven times to come to church, and they've said no. We stop. We're just talking like family. That's right. I, I see the need, but it's too difficult. They don't have a ride to church, and that means I would have to probably get up like five minutes earlier, and, and they'd have to ride in my car, which means I'd have to clean my car out. Have you seen the backseat of my car? It's an obstacle. And we stop. These men were absolutely determined. They had this whatever it takes, whatever it costs, whatever I have to sacrifice, whatever I have to do, I will do everything I have to do to remove an obstacle to get somebody to Jesus. Lesson three and perhaps the most important, healing always hinges on partnership. Now, you know me. Those of you that attend here regularly know me, so you know I'm not about to diminish the ability and power of Jesus. That's right. That's right. I will never do that. 
I will never call into question his ability, his authority, his anointing. In fact, he stood up about himself and said, hey, I've been sent here to give sight to the blind and hope to the hopeless and to destroy the chains. That's who he was. That, that's the power he has. But maybe our focus on Jesus in the rescue causes us to miss the focus on the friends in the rescue. There's this old saying that kind of resonates in my spirit right now, and, and that is, is that big doors swing on small hinges. The reality of this story is very simply this. The door of healing and salvation for this man on this stretcher swung on the hinges of four men that loved him. I said to you last week, and I still mean it, there is only one solution for your life. It's Jesus. He is the answer. He is the way. He is the only way. He is the only solution. A self-help seminar won't help you, won't solve it for you. If there, Jesus is not in the equation, you're going to go lacking. If, uh, I love our outreach programs, but listen, we can feed the hungry, and if they get a warm, hot meal and they don't meet Jesus in the exchange, then they're just going to go hungry again. Jesus is the answer, the way, period. Amen. However... From this account, I wonder if maybe we put so much attention on Jesus' role in the rescue that we fail to focus on our role in the rescue. Maybe we do that because it lets us off the hook and we don't think we're responsible and accountable anymore because we're not Jesus. Let me say it to you like this. You are assigned people that nobody else can reach and that Jesus will never be able to get to if you don't bring them to him. That was good. You don't have to amen me. I know it's the truth. See, some of you think that, that I'm assigned to the same people you are, and so if you can just get them to me, then it'll be okay. That is not the truth. The truth is, is that you're in relationship with people that I will never be able to reach, that Tari will never be able to reach, that Woody will never be able to reach, that Tim will never be able to reach. And you go right down the list. There are people that God has assigned to you that you are the sole responsible person in the equation to get them to Jesus, and if you don't take part and partner as part of the healing, they will never be be set free. They will never be delivered. They will never be healed. They will never be saved if you don't take care of your role in that partnership. You're part of it. So if we're partners for healing, which we are, then we, as the four friends did, they recognized there was an obstacle that was keeping their friend from Jesus, then as family, we need to talk about some of the obstacles that I think that we are facing right now, that if we're not careful, if they haven't already begun to stop people from getting to Jesus, they will in the near future. Are y'all with me? Yes. See where we're going? We need to talk about some of the things. Now, the preacher came out in me, and I guess the spirit of Bob Ely, those of you that know my dad understand what I'm getting ready to say. I started thinking about the obstacles that we face. There are three of them, and all of a sudden, I had to do them all with the, they all start with the same letter. <laughs> I did it on purpose because I want you to remember these things. I don't want to just talk about them and then it's one of those conversations with the family member that you go away and can't remember what we talked about. There are three issues, obstacles, challenges that we have to address and that we are addressing because these are the three things that we've got to fix because our goal is to make possible that everybody that wants to come to Jesus can. And I got two amens. Amen. That everybody that wants to get to Jesus can. Amen. 
Okay, just want to make sure. I thought maybe y'all were asleep on spring break. Here are our obstacles. First one is stickiness. Um, some of you sitting next to somebody right now, and you're like, man, that ain't no problem. They're as sticky as they can be. I can't get it. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, family members, let me, let me tell you where, where I think we are. We are very attractive right now. As I've already mentioned to you, there are people talking about us all over Oklahoma City, all over the metro, and honestly around the nation. Every time I talk to one of my friends that doesn't even live here, they're hearing about what God is doing here. We are very attractive right now. I can prove it to you because we have a steady stream of visitors every week, and I am so thankful. I'm thankful my mama has to cook cookies every week. I'm thankful that the people in the church that follow up on them, on the visitors, are following up on them. I am thankful. It would be boring if it was the same folks every week. I love you, like your face, but I like to see new faces too. Yes. I'm thankful. That is a gift from God. We cannot take for that, that for granted because there are bodies that never have any, any visitors at all. So I am thankful that we are in that environment. We are attractive right now. My question is, is are we sticky? Because, see, I, I, I'm glad that excitement is contagious and attractive, but, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm excited that our sound is drawing people, and I'm excited that we have a bunch of visitors, but we need to turn visitors into regulars. And so I have to ask this question, how do you do that? How do you make people that visit want to be here on a regular basis? Uh, well, let me tell you how you don't do it. You don't do it with advertisement. You don't do it with cool t-shirts. You don't do it with nice buildings. Let me tell you how you become, or who's responsible for being sticky. You. Each of us have a responsibility that we help people stick here once they visit for the first time. It's our attitude towards them. It's how we treat them. It's how we go out of our way. It's how we love on them. It's how we get involved in their life. That makes us sticky where people want to do life with us. Amen. See, one of the major areas we need to work on is making no assumptions. This is a challenge I recognize. Uh, we are a friendly church. You cannot walk into our lobby without being greeted. We got some great greeters and some great folks that move around and welcome people. In fact, I've been told we're one of the friendliest churches in Oklahoma City, and I'm, man, if we get to where we're not, we're going to have problems. Pastor's going to need counseling. Um, you're going to have to come visit me in jail. Um, because that's who God's called us to be, to love on people. So, so we're really good about being friendly. Here's the deal. We can no longer make assumptions, assumptions about who is a regular and who is a visitor. I understand that the, the, the deal is, is that when you're in two services, it's hard because you think, well, maybe they're not a visitor. Maybe they attend the other service and I don't know it. Like, like this guy came in about three or four weeks ago. I had never, that, to my knowledge, seen him before. He walks back there to talk to me. I shake his hand and say, so thank you so much for visiting with us today. And he looked at me and said, man, I've been going here for five years. Sorry, didn't know. We run two services. It's hard to keep up with everybody. But you can't make an assumption anymore that the, the new person you see sitting around you is a visitor because they may not be. That's right. And so I, we're going to give each other some permission today. I want us to give permission to each other to offend one another. So that you can look at whoever sat next to you and maybe they've been coming here regular for a year and all of a sudden you open mouth and insert foot and you turn to them and say, hey, is this your first time? I'm so delighted. And you have to recognize and you just go, you know what? I'd rather you err on the, be, on the side of being friendly than 
to think, well, I can't say anything to them because I think they've been here all the time. Come on, turn to your neighbor right now and say, I give you permission to offend me. See, some of y'all taking that in a whole different way. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Let me tell you another obstacle we're seeing uh, in this same regard to stickiness. Uh, we had a family, I'm not going to put them out there here this morning. They've been regular now for a while, but they just started with us. And one of the um, feedback I got was that we're very friendly in, friendly in the lobby, but we isolate people when they come in here. I don't know if you get in here and you're just worried, man, I got to get all, I got to get from me, from God, and you just become focused about you, but we got to change that. Yeah. It's not good enough to be friendly in lobby and cold in here. That's why we started this about a oh, month and a half, two months ago. In between worship and the word, I'm actually literally giving you time to get out from where you stand and go greet somebody and talk to one another and ask them how their dog is and ask them how their kid is and ask them how work went so that they won't feel isolated when they get in here. And... I want to tell you this right now, nobody ought to ever sit by themselves at church. If you see somebody sitting by themselves, that is your task to go sit by them so they feel like somebody cares about them. Y'all with me? Yeah. It's an obstacle we've got to face. Now let me tell you your, your task. Your task is to get one person to stick. I didn't ask you to get every visitor that walks through the door. I'm asking you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in such a way that when that one visitor walks in the door and the Holy Spirit says, that's the one, that you will do everything in your ability and power, even if it pulls you out of your little nice, shy comfort zone and causes you to actually have to go talk to somebody on a Sunday morning, I'm asking you to make it your task to help them to stick. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, second, that, that's, that's the first obstacle. That's the first S. The second S is space. Um, these guys couldn't get Jesus into the, their friend to Jesus because the house was full. And I get it. Uh, we are in the same boat. And I'll try to explain. Let, let me say a few things about that. First of all, I recognize that being crowded is a whole lot better than the alternative. Yes. I like it. The, I like being with people and like the fact that we're busting at the seams. Uh, but I also understand that we're going to have to do whatever we have to do to make room for people. You do recognize that in America, because we eat at McDonald's all the time, that once a building is 70% full, it's full. You can't get anybody else in because we want space. Preach. See? <laughs> Quinn goes to McDonald's. He knows. So uh, <laughs> we just like our space. So this place is full, especially in this service, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, let, me, let me see if I can prove that to you in, in a couple of illustrations. One is, is uh, my youngest, Devin, plays on a baseball team. He played on a different team. That team disbanded, so he's moved to another baseball team. And one of the guys that's an assistant coach is full-time at a church uh, on the south side of the city. And when we started practicing, this has been about two weeks ago, he said to me, we were here for a baseball meeting on a, I don't know, Monday night or something. And at the end of the meeting, he says, man, some people that my kid rides to school with on Friday attend your church. And I was like, well, that's cool. Who is it? And he told me their names, and I had no clue who they were. And I was like, are you sure they come to this church? He's like, yeah, they come to this church. And I said, hang on a second. I ran to the office, pulled up our church management software, found their names, saw that they hadn't attended in about six months, and I went back to him, and I said, you're right. They have attended our church, but they haven't been here in a while. And he said, well, let me tell you what they told me. I was like, uh-oh. Here we go. He said, this is a quote from them, 
when he asked them about our church, they said this, we love the praise and worship. And we love the preaching. And then this is what they said, but it's too crowded. Two weeks ago, Josh Hanna was with us. Um, those of you that were here know who I'm talking about. He has this unique ability to walk into organizations and see some of their issues. He immediately came to me after second service two weeks ago and said, you have got to get at least 20 or 30 people out of your second service into your first service because you're keeping visitors from sticking because you're out of space. Do you realize that last week we had 371 people here? And that, now, now that's great, I'm happy about it, but do you also recognize that Sunday morning, second service in this room, in the room, there were 212 people in this room. And when we went out, although we've got 40 cars parked out here on the grass, we, when we went out and looked, there were no parking spaces left. That's a problem. And so I just want to challenge you, if you're an early riser on Sundays, and if you're not specifically connected to certain people here and you can worship God with anybody, let me just encourage you to come to first service. We need your chair. We need your parking space. All right? Space. So, what? Did I miss something? <laughs> what did I miss? <laughs> no idea. Y'all just think it's funny we need your chair and your parking space. I don't know. Um, however, that's only a stopgap. We recognize that that only solves the problem. So, uh, let me sp speed up here and tell you that we, most of you know this, we met with the master planner. The master planner sat down with us, helped us to identify our specific needs, drew some stuff for us that I'm getting ready to show you. But before I show you, I want to warn you. I want to warn you that buildings are nothing more than tools. They are not the goal. Hear me carefully. The building is not the goal. If you make the building the goal, when we finish building a building, we're done. That is not the goal. In fact, I want to say to you that the building is nothing more than a tool. Yes. It's to make room so people can get in and encounter Jesus. And I am not going to be involved in building buildings just to build buildings. Right. Yeah. We're going to build them to make room. So the goal is and must always remain life change. And it is and always must be this attitude. We cannot think this is the field of dreams. If we build it, they will come. Forget that, man. We're going to build it and we're going to go get them. That's right. Why build it if we're not going to go after them and get them in? Amen. All right? Besides, I'm not, I'm not interested in, in using people to build our church. We want our church to build people. So we, we're going to talk about buildings, but it has, you've got to understand this is not the end all. This is just a tool that we're going to use to try to get people in. So I'm going to show you some pictures. Do not get tied to style. This has nothing to do with style, although they drew their, what they thought we would like as style. I don't even want you to get tied into what it all looks like because we're in the discussions right now changing some of it because we think it's about need. We need to do some things, and so we're, we're willing to change what they drew for us if that's what we need to do. So here's what we did. Um, this is phase one. Now let me help you directionally challenge folks because some of y'all think that council's back there, but it's not. It's up here. I know you got turned around when you came in. Council's right out here. I'm going to show you a view of what we are at least thinking about doing, and we'll start here very shortly, uh, God willing. It's uh, phase one. Um, phase one is to add uh, a couple of things, several things, actually. Uh, the first and the foremost and most important, in my opinion, is now the kids' building. 
we will add an extension to our fellowship hall. Yeah, y'all do realize that our kids, our older kids are just meeting in the fellowship hall and they get interrupted all during service for people needing to make coffee or if we're doing a meal or whatever. We're addressing that. The first phase is we will extend on the fellowship hall and they will have their own designated space that can also be used as a fellowship hall but will primarily be a kids building. We will let our community know that we care about our kids. There will be a huge sign right there on the front lit up so people can see it. It says Passion Kids. There will be an entry from the left of that building and the right of that building so that our visitors can drop their kids off right in the kids' room and see what they're doing. We will provide uh, parking spaces out front and down the south side of our building so they can get right in and find out what's going on with their kids. It's important that we do that. Another thing that we said is important is that we need an east entry because our rear is pointed towards our community. They don't even know we're here unless we park out front. And so we're going to provide some type of entry. We're not sold to this because it's a lot of money for just to let people know we're here. We think there's some better ways we may be able to do that, and we're examining that. But we want to open up an entry over here on the east so that visitors will know we're here on Sunday morning and Wednesday nights, and they can see there are people here. Um, the, the architectural company that drew this for us said it was going to cost $495,000. And I dropped my jaw and went, wow, that's a lot of money. And I was going, what in the world? I think we can beat it. We're looking at a construction company right now that we think will help us with that. You say, well, Steve, how in the world are you going to pay for this? Um, let me tell you how. You're going, to, you're going to start taking up offerings every week for building fund? You're going to do one of those capital campaign things? Make, make pledges now till Jesus comes. You'll get a... <clears throat> no. We will do that for phase two. But not at phase one. You'll see why here in a minute. Phase one, let me... Let me you got to catch this. If you will remain faithful... In your giving, right. we can handle this. Right. At your present level of giving, if you remain faithful. Yes. If you say, well, I'm just not going to do, uh, I need to go on vacation, and I'm not going to pay my tax. First, you'll be cursed, and then second, we won't be able to do this. That's right. Mm. That's, right. That's okay. Family talk. That's it. Don't talk to me about struggling if you ain't tithing. Don't want to hear it. Come on now. Don't want to hear it. That is the contingency. I ain't even going to pray for your money situation. I'm going to preach about this next week, not just about money, about a whole bunch of things. But we want to pray, God, help me with my finances. If you're not tithing, pray all you want. That's right. It ain't nothing going to change. That's right. Because the windows are open by tithing. Yes, sir. And so if you'll keep giving, we can do this. We won't ask you to do anything extra. Just, now, if you want to do something extra, look at your tithing envelope. There's a thing on there that says, Our Place. You can give anytime you want to give. All right? What is going to happen is that when we start finishing this, when this starts coming to a close, we, we had hoped to break ground in June or July. I don't know if we're going to make it. We hope to be done by December. We don't know if we're going to make it. We're going to try. We're waiting on some permits and stuff like that. We're going to do our best. Um, but once that's done, the next phase is a much bigger phase. This is this, is if you're coming down 33rd, which is right out here, looking at the side of the building. This is what they're proposing. We will do some form of this. Hopefully, I'll, I would like to believe that we can do this in 2015. We'll see. You see the existing sanctuary, what they're saying is we need a new lobby between the two. We we'll build a 19,654 square foot, 800 seat sanctuary that will set right on our existing parking lot. Uh, we'll get new, 80 new parking places, all for the bargain basement price of $3.5 million, not counting lights, sound, or video. So we're going to worship in the dark. And it's going <laughs> to... Candlelight service every Sunday. Bring blankets and coats, because we bring fans, because, no, I'm playing. Um, 
when I, when, when I show this to the bank that we're working with for loans, we will do a capital campaign for this at some point um, so that you can invest what, in what God is doing. He looked at, he, we were talking on the phone, he said, Steve, you know this is impossible for a congregation your size, don't you? And then he started chuckling because he's a Christian. He said, well, without God. And I just had to laugh and I was like, you know, aren't churches supposed to be doing stuff that without God wouldn't work anyway? That's just a challenge for us to let people see what God can do. Yes, right. So we think we can build it a lot cheaper than this with this construction company that we're partnering with. But the other great thing is 80 new parking spaces. The only dilemma is, is that, um, and I'll show you this in a second, when we wipe out these two houses that we own back here to build parking, we can only get 200 parking spaces on the whole property. For a seat, an 800-seat auditorium, you need 400 parking spaces. Uh, so what I want you to do is begin to pray with me that while all this is going on, these three houses right here, that they will come and beg us to buy their houses, not try to keep us from buying their houses. They will come and say, please, Passion, please buy our houses. Uh, and that's what we'll do. And that will allow us new parking and probably a family life center right there on 33rd. So God's doing some cool things, all right? And then there's a phase three. Um, this is, if you were standing in the parking lot looking back, um, oh, by the way, the, the young people are excited and they want us to hurry up on this because as soon as we build that sanctuary, this sanctuary becomes theirs. And uh, they get to put cool stuff in here that they, they like to do. So uh, I don't know what that is. I'm too old. I used to think I know, but I don't know. Uh, third phase is um, simply this. It's, uh, they would add an education wing down on the south side uh, of 1,039 square feet, which provides classrooms and for adults and children and stuff like that. And they just want another $450,000 for that. So no big deal. We're going to see it happen. Um, we can build it cheaper than that. What I'm trying to tell you is style doesn't matter. None of that matters except for this. It addresses needs, and it deals with the obstacles we're facing. we got to take some stopgap methods to fix some of the stuff that we think is keeping people out. We want to make room for them, but this is where we're headed, and I hope you're excited about this. I don't want you to say, well, y'all didn't build it just like you showed me the picture of. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can give you this picture to hang on your wall at home, and you can fantasize about you promised me you would build. Because I want to tell you right now, if the need for a family life center was to raise up real fast and, and become more important than the sanctuary, that's what we would do. This is need-based. All right? I, I don't want to go in. I, I, was part, I was on staff at a church where some folks had been given towards a sanctuary for 20 years, and it was, it was slow, 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 and they threatened to sue the church because you didn't build it like you said you were going to build it. Give me a break, man. This is about reaching people. Right. All right, so um, that's where we're at. And then the third S for you alliteration freaks is standard. Uh, I, I, an obstacle that we have to face, I'm almost done, hang with me, is we've got to understand the standard by which we measure success. If, if a full house is successful, then Jesus could have called it a day said, I've done all, I've done my father's business. This is what I'm here to do, fill the house up. But the day wasn't over until somebody's life was changed. A full house is not the standard that we have to go by. I want to tell you something right now. If a full house was the standard of success, then we can stop. We're successful. Look around you. It's full here. Even on spring break, it's full. Fuller than most churches in America because you've got to look at the averages. So we could just say, ooh, we had 371 last, last week. We're done. We're successful. Get pins, get plaques, go on vacation. <laughs> that is not the standard of success. 
The standard of success is change. When people's lives are changed, that is successful. Like one of the testimonies we got last week out of Passion Sports, Brad hit me up after service and said, one of the moms that has children in our Passion Sports program texted him and said, y'all saved my family. Man, that's worth all the trophies and basketballs and games. And So life change is the, is the standard that we go by. So there's three challenges in this real quick. Let me mention them to you. The first one is this. Our target audience, just so you know, is young families. Now, if you don't fit into that target audience, you're still welcome here. But we're going after young families. That presents an obstacle to us because, um, and, and it's why phase one is so important, because if you're going to reach young families, you better have an incredible children's ministry. Our issue is not the quality of people we have working in children. It's just like what Josh Hanna told me. He said, I don't know how you're getting any families. He said, your children's ministry is absolutely invisible. He said, you can come to church here. And this happened about a month and a half ago. We had a family that came to church here with small children and never knew where to take their kids and didn't even know we had children's ministry. And they brought their kids in here and worshiped. And then, then they told us later, we didn't think y'all had children's ministry. That's got to change. That's why we're doing phase one. But it also means this. Our children's ministry has to go to a whole nother level. Yes. And so I'm, making, I'm, I'm putting this out here on some, on some impossible things. I am convinced that we desperately need to put on full-time children's pastors that can go after our children and take our children's ministry to a level that nobody's ever seen before and they want their kids will beg them to come to church and bring all their friends with them. Tim and Amy have had to resign effective after Easter because Tim's been without a job, a secular job, and he's just been part-time for the last six or seven months. He made a sacrifice to, to get here. They drive for more. He, he had to take a job, and they're going to make him work on Sundays. They've resigned. We've got about a two- or three-month window here that I believe that God is calling us to step up to the plate and invest in our kids. We cannot do that building and do kids if we're not all investing. And so I encourage you to pray about increasing what you're doing. The second thing I would say to you in this thing about our standard is that you've got to move from your church to my church. When you're talking to people that go to church here, you can't look at them and say, man, I really enjoyed your church. No, this is my church. This is, I am making an investment. And, and listen, this doesn't become, you don't take ownership of this church as all you do is come and worship. That's right. Because if all you do is just come worship week after week, this isn't your church. Because as soon as you don't like the worship, you'll go to some other church. Preach. Right. Family, just talking to family. Yeah, what proves that this is your church is that you take ownership of this church, and you do that two ways. You do that by working, yeah. by plugging in, yeah. by volunteering. Some of you showed up at this church hurt and burnt out, and we give you permission to sit until you're healthy, but some of you are way beyond healthy. Yeah. And it's time for you to plug in and get involved. Because then at that moment, as you're investing your time, it becomes your church. It's That's my right. church. Right. And the other way that you prove that it's your church is that you give. Amen. Let me just say it very bluntly to you. You cannot expect to, to, to reap where you have not sown. Amen. And your worship is not how you sow. That's right. Okay. In other words, let me say it like this, and I'll move on because some of you are getting really anxious and nervous and things are <laughs> tightening up on you right now. It's a... You reveal if this is church in two ways, by your checkbook and your calendar. Yeah. Yeah. 
We make a, we've made a covenant with you a long time ago that we would protect both of those things for you. We would not have an activity every night of the week and keep you away from your family. We're not about that. We're about it coming together and equipping you through worship and through word and small groups and things like that. But you've got to invest with your time and you've got to invest with your wallet. That's where you reveal what's yours and what's not. And so I encourage you that you've got to engage, you've got to invest. And then last, the third challenge in the in, in concept of standard is if crowds don't equal success and we're after change, then the standard we've got to look for is maturity. Are you growing? And I just want to tell you this morning, some of you think that you're getting you're becoming mature by attending worship on Sunday morning. And although Sunday morning helps, and although it is my job to help grow you, the reality is, is that your greatest level of maturity will never be accomplished just on Sunday morning in praise and worship. Your maturity level is never accomplished. Maturity is never accomplished in rows. You're not going to become mature just by staring at the back of somebody's head. You become mature in circles. Not in rows, in circles. It is as you are involved in each other's life. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. It says four friends grow their friend by taking him to Jesus. They're involved in his life to care enough about him. He becomes whole and healthy. And what I want to say to you this morning is if all you do is stroll in here every Sunday morning and worship, but you never have any interaction with anybody sitting around you in a circle, you will not become mature. So my question is this, what are you doing to grow? We provide pods, places of discipleship, discipleship, small groups. There's like five new ones getting ready to start in the next month and a half. I want to encourage you to get involved in one. I want to encourage you to start one. Yes. But if, maybe say, I, I, these small group things, man, I don't know. That's all right. You need to be in some accountability relationship yes. with somebody that will say, hey, there are areas of your life that you need to work on, and this is an area that you're challenged in, and I want to help you grow. You cannot do that just coming here dancing and shouting. So maturity is our goal, not crowds. Now, do we want numbers and crowds? Absolutely, because every one of those represents a person. It's part of the measuring stick, but it's not the ultimate measuring stick. And I'm not willing to say we're successful because we're full. We've got to see life change. So like the men who had sick friends, we have some obstacles that we face and that we must move beyond. My real question to you today is, are you willing to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. And if that becomes our attitude, we will invest, we will interact, we will get involved because we will have this mentality that says, I have to get people to Jesus. And if it tears up the house and I don't get to sit in my favorite chair and I have to switch services and I don't even like to get up that early or that late, and I'll do whatever I have to do. Yeah. Yeah. See, here, let me talk to you for family for 30 seconds and then I'll get out of your way. And I'm not just saying this, I believe this with my whole heart. I am convinced that if we can deal with our obstacles, that the day is coming when people all over this city and all over our state and all over our nation and all over our world will rub their eyes and step back and go, we don't know what to do, but praise God and say, he did it. And then they will follow it with this statement. 
We have never seen anything like this. For In order for us to get to that place, we have to deal with our stickiness. We have to deal with our space. And we have to deal with our standard. But I want to say this to you, and I mean this, we could get there. We say, well, that's kind of egotistical. This is not about us. This is not making a name for us. This is not making, trying to get our name out. No, this is about the fact that we recognize that if we can get people to Jesus, Amen. he can change their life. Father, this morning I pray that uh, we would see ourselves in this story and we would begin to ask ourselves questions about who you've assigned us to and what steps we need to take to make room for them. God, I pray that even now in our own spirit you would reveal to us a, a face, a name that we're in relationship with that, that you've assigned us and we would begin to take drastic, crazy, sacrificial steps. We would make what some people would call over-the-top investments into this place that you've called us to because we're so desperate to get people to you. I ask that you help us learn how to partner for healing, that you show us how we can bring people and focus on people and make room for people. And God, I just pray you'd let a challenge go out today to each person sitting here. If they're the one that needs to make room, I pray they'd make room. If there are those sitting here that are making no investment, I pray that they would begin to give and see themselves blessed as they give and they would see what God can do. And God, I pray that if we're here and we're not involved, you would help us to get more involved so that we can make room and we can draw people to Jesus. And God, I pray that we would never become satisfied with numbers. We would never judge our effectiveness on numbers. I pray we'd never get the big head that pride about numbers would overtake. I pray that we would not become about buildings, that we would become desperate about people we would be committed to getting people to Jesus and that life change would be the standard and maturity would be the standard that we seek. Help us to take the steps we need to grow. I pray these things as part of this family. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Woody. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.